Welcome to the Grace Vineyard Podcast, where we are building growing communities of worshipers who are becoming like Christ, empowered to do His work. We hope you enjoy this message. According to my um, records, this is our fourth time in, in Galatians chapter 4. And you'll remember that we've been saying that uh, one of the ways to describe this message of grace is that the way we get right with God or the way that we get saved, salvation, is Jesus. faith in Jesus plus nothing, right? Faith in Jesus plus nothing. And the big problem that caused Paul to write the letter to the, church in, the churches in Galatia was that some um, false teachers, some false apostles, were bringing in another message that, that said, uh, Salvation is Jesus plus something, that yes, you should believe in Jesus, but that's not quite enough. If you really want to be a good, true Christian, you need to also do the law of Moses, and the men need to get circumcised, and you should obey the food laws. Then you'd be real Christians. And there's this thing that's cropped up over and over and over throughout church history, even to our day, where people cannot believe the scandal of the message of the cross, the message of grace that says, God has done everything. You don't get to do anything but receive. You can't earn your relationship with God or salvation. If you try to, you won't. It has to be Jesus plus nothing, a free gift. Jesus has done it all. That's not to say, therefore, we should sin. And and Paul will get into that, because that's always the common response. What do you mean? If they don't have to do anything, they'll start sinning. They don't have to stop sinning? No, they just receive from God. And that's that's the message he preaches over and over. So we're going to get there. But I I was thinking about the various people that come together, and I thought, you know, there there might be a term I should um, define for us in case you don't know what this one word is that shows up a lot in Paul's writings in Galatians and Romans. By the way, the, the... If you want to understand the gospel of grace, which I assume you do, if you want to understand how salvation really works, the thing to do is to read two of the books of the Bible in particular, two letters that Paul the Apostle wrote. One is Romans, and the other is Galatians. Romans walks through the whole process of why everyone needs a Savior, Jewish, Gentile, religious, irreligious, sinner, moral, wherever you are, he walks through why we all need a Savior and why what Jesus did is sufficient, it's necessary, it's everything we need to enter into relationship with God. But once you enter into relationship with God by faith in Jesus, then people go, okay, well now we need to add something to continue the relationship, to continue to grow, and that's another false notion. It is a life of faith from beginning to end All the way through. So a word that I thought I should just define in case you've heard it and you didn't know what I was talking about is the word Torah. Torah that you see spelled T-O-R-A-H, Torah. And it's a Hebrew word. If you didn't know, the Old Testament or the Jewish Bible, and we call it the Old Testament when we have a New Testament and Old Testament, was written in the language Hebrew, in the, the language of the Jewish people. And... That is a Hebrew word, Torah. So that's why it comes out so much when we talk about it. And it literally means instructions. Specifically, people use Torah to mean the first five books 
of the Bible, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, which the authorship is attributed to Moses. So they're called the books of Moses. Sometimes you hear us call about the, the Torah of Moses or the law of Moses. If you take the word Torah and you translate it into English, the word that's chosen is law. So whenever you're reading the New Testament and you read Paul and he says, like we're going to read today, I am dead to the law. He is talking specifically about the Torah. Really the first five books of the Old Testament. Sometimes people refer to the entire Old Testament as the Torah, but it, it more specifically means the first five books. So, so get that in mind when you hear that in case you're wondering, what law, what law? Like uh, the Supreme Court? Well, I'm, what's he talking about? No, he's talking about the religious Jewish law. Now, here's another part that is added to that. And we talked about it, but I didn't really define it that well for you. And you read it when you read Paul's writings about this topic. And that is, after Moses, well, well, let me back up. The first five books of the Bible, of course, tell the beginning, right? The Genesis story, the creation of the world. And then the story of a particular man that God chose, a man named Abraham. That God said, you are an old man without kids, I'm going to give you a miracle kid. And from your miracle kid is going to come an offspring and entire nations of people. And in particular, a really important nation through whom the promise for the world is going to come. So Abraham had a, pro a promised son named Isaac, who had a son named Jacob. Jacob's name was changed to Israel. Israel had 12 sons who became the leaders of the 12 tribes of Israel. And now we have a nation. And remember when we read the Exodus, that was a large family who became slaves in Egypt. By the time 400 years had passed, there were like a million of them. And God had predicted this would happen. He told Abraham, they're going to be in slavery for 400 years, and I'm going to call them out. They're going to come into this land. I'm going to give it to them, and I'm going to use them to judge the inhabitants of this land. They're going to come as an army, and they're going to bring destruction because I see the future. I'm going to give these peoples... 400 years to change their behavior because they're sinful people. But I know they won't. And in 400 years, I'm going to create a nation, and one of their jobs is going to be to bring judgment on those who continue to do all this wickedness and evil because he's righteous. He's just justice. When you read those wars in the Old Testament, you think, how could God be so violent? Just know that there's a story of hundreds of years of terrible sinning, violence, evil, really bad evil, and God uses this particular people at that time to judge. Anyway, so as they come out, God forms Israel into a nation and gives them laws for living. Some of them you are familiar with because you've heard of the Ten Commandments. And even to this day, most of our societies are, have those kind of rules that were given to Israel as a foundation of their entire legal system. Things like, you shouldn't murder. You shouldn't lie against your neighbor, bear false witness. You could get sued for that. You shouldn't commit adultery. You know, and also um, the Sabbath-keeping rules. And so that's the, the law of Moses, the Torah. Over the years, the religious leaders said, you know, we want to follow those rules, so let's add some interpretation and make some more rules to help us follow those rules. We'll call these fence rules so we don't get near the border and break the real rules. Those are called the traditions. So this is something you'll remember reading in the Bible, hopefully, if you've read like the, the Gospels. Since there's a Sabbath law that says God's called the seventh day holy, Israel don't work on the Sabbath. 
the leader said, well, you know, um, if we're, we're mostly farmers here, right? And if we harvest, that's work. And let's figure out what is harvesting. Hmm. Well, and now they become lawyers. And they work on, you know, looking for loopholes and looking for specifics. So they say, you know what? Um, if you were walking through a field of grain and you broke off a head of wheat and chewed on it, I guess that's technically harvesting, so you must be guilty of breaking the Sabbath law, so we'll say that's breaking the law. Remember that? And so Jesus is walking through the grain fields with his disciples, and they break off a head of grain and chew on it. And the Pharisees go, ah, stop it, you're a lawbreaker, because they were relying on the traditions of the elders. Remember? Remember, so that was one of them. Um, Jesus, did, he ran into them all the time on purpose. He would heal someone on the Sabbath. And the Pharisees would say, according to our traditions, you can't heal people on the Sabbath because healing is a form of work, so therefore you're working and breaking the Sabbath law. And Jesus called them hypocrites. He said, you, don't you know the Sabbath wasn't given to be like slavery for you? It was a gift from God to bless you. And, and you hypocrites, why? If, you're, if your animal fell in a ditch, you'd pull him out on a Saturday. But here's a man that I'm healing, and you're saying I'm breaking the Sabbath? Stop it. So you remember all the stories? That's what's going on. When you read Paul say that he was committed to the traditions of the elders, that's what that is. Torah and then the additions. So we're going to today read a section of Galatians that we read last week, but we're going to drill kind of deep, or I think a little deeper at least, in an understanding that if you get this, if you can grab a hold of what I'm going to tell you today, and if I can say it well, it will change your life in regard to how you deal with temptation and sin. It will change your life. This is something I have thought through some of these verses and worked through for over 40 years now. I've studied them, I've applied them, and I've shared them with people in counseling sessions Really, I think this will help you. So you ready? But you're going to have to think. You ready to think? Okay. So, Lord, we're going to open up Galatians and Romans and read about sin and the law and Christ and freedom. And we pray that you open our eyes to understand. Open our eyes to understand. Help us to be transformed today in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so... This is not, I give some verses to the guys to show on the screen, and I, this one I didn't give you, I'll just tell you. The, the, in the book of James in the Bible, James explains where sin's come, sin comes from. And he says, you know, every person should not say he's tempted of God, because God doesn't tempt anyone with evil. But every person is tempted when he's drawn away of his own lust, he's enticed. His desires to do something that's wrong. Sin is, there's a temptation. And then temptation, it's like it conceives a baby named sin. And sin grows up and kills you. That's James. He says it this way. When tempted, no one should say, God has tempted me. God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. But each one is tempted when by his own evil desire he's dragged away. Doesn't desire do that to you? Drags you. And enticed. Then after desire is conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin, when it's full grown, gives birth to death. So just check that in your mind about temptation and sin and death. Now I'll go back to Paul dealing with the law. 
Galatians 2, verse 19 and 20. These are the two big verses, and there's a corollary verse in Romans I'm going to read to you. For through the law, I died to the law, so that I might live for God. He's talking about Torah. I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live. But Christ lives in me. This is true of you. If you've put faith in Jesus, this is your story. Christ lives in you, and you're dead to the law. The life I live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. Did you hear the, the Gospels right there? I'm dead to the law. The life I now live, I live by faith. I come to salvation by faith, and I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Remember those words over and over. We started the book of Galatians out with, Jesus loved us and gave himself for our sins to rescue us from this present evil age. So how Paul, through the law, died to the law. Paul came to the understanding that the Torah was designed to help the people of God reflect the righteous nature of God. That's its purpose. It lays out what it would look like if we lived loving our neighbors as ourselves. And the, the law does all that. He discovered that the law had no power to help us have the righteousness of God. All it had the power to do was to show us that we didn't have his righteousness and that we're sinful. That's all the law can do. It's good. It describes what's right, but it slays you and says, see, you're a sinner. You break the law. And what's more, he would say, the law has this interesting, usual connection with sin in us that when the law comes, it arouses sin in us so that law causes more sin to rise up. And he, he would say that a lot in Romans. And if you have children, you know that the moment you say, um, you can stand here, but don't stand here, they will immediately go over here, right? They, they will always, they will, there's in it. There, there's something in them. A law comes in and you want to break the law. It's, it's the sinful nature. So when Paul understood that the Torah, the law, had no power to help us reflect the nature of God, and then he discovered that Jesus has come along as the solution to this whole problem to deal with the sin of humanity and to give us the righteousness of God by putting his spirit in us, he said, I am dead to the law. It was killing me, and I'm dead to it now. Do, do you recognize that phrase, you're dead to me? I picture like a godfather kind of movie, you're dead to me. Can, can, you, can you hear that? What does it mean? It means as far as, I'm, as far as my relationship with you, it's as though you're dead. I can't hear you. I can't see you. Don't talk to me. I will have no relationship with you. You're dead to me. And if we were looking for a message, that would probably be the title. You're dead to me. <laughs> Paul said, I'm dead to the law. Because when I put my faith in Jesus Christ, remember, he was one of these traditionalists. He was one of those Pharisees who opposed Jesus and then had revealed to him what Jesus had done on the cross of the resurrection. And he understood something phenomenal. Something that's mysterious, it takes a revelation, it's amazing and it's true and it's powerful. That when we put our faith in Jesus, we literally have his crucifixion becomes our crucifixion. His resurrection becomes our resurrection. And as surely as when, if you committed a capital offense, you were judged guilty and you were executed, 
The law has no more power over you when you're dead, right? And that's what he's saying. I'm dead to the law. But, this is the part, you've got to add this to it. It's just so remarkable. You are also dead to sin. Remember, sin and law work together. You read this all through Romans. They work together to gang up on you. To drag you into depression and loss and failure and unrighteousness. They're just, they're, they're a nasty pair. And Paul also says, this is in Romans, answering the question about, well, if, if we don't have to do anything to receive God's forgiveness and his salvation, if it's all grace, Jesus plus nothing, I know what you're going to say, what should we say then? Should we go on sinning that grace could increase? By no means. Now listen to this. We died to sin. So we're dead to the law, and we're dead to sin. Their power is broken. How can we live any longer in it? Don't you know? Don't you know? Did you not understand this? This is what happened. When you were baptized into Christ Jesus, you were baptized into his death. We are therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Jesus Christ was raised from the dead, we too can walk in newness of life. You guys, if you get this and you walk it out by faith, it will dramatically change your life and give you so much joy in the face of temptation and sin. Here's the facts. When I put my faith in Jesus, something miraculous happened that God gave me. Jesus told Nicodemus, remember in John chapter 3, he said, you've got to be born again. You've got to be born of the Spirit to enter the kingdom of God. And Nicodemus, this great leader, said, I don't understand. What are you talking about? How can that be? And Jesus says, Nicodemus, remember when Moses lifted that snake up in the wilderness when all those people had sinned, and if they'd look at the snake, they'd be healed of their sickness? Same thing. I'm going to be lifted up on a cross and crucified. If you look at me in faith, you will be set free from your sin. You'll be born again. My Spirit will live in you. Everything will change. That's miraculous. When we put our faith in Jesus, he does something completely unexpected. He takes away our sins. He takes away the penalty of sin because it was put on him, like some kind of a time warp. The future penalty that we would incur is transferred into the past that Jesus took care of on the cross, and we don't have to deal with it anymore because our sin is taken care of. That's the penalty of sin, but the power of sin is also broken. That's what he said. And the presence of sin. We are dead to sin. You're dead to me. It's really incredible. And, and connected with that is this identification with Christ, that you've got to if you believe it, it will change you. I am crucified with Christ, and I'm raised to life with Christ. Because of his crucifixion, sin's power is broken in my life. It's penalty, it's power, and it's presence. Because of his resurrection, I too have entered into the life of the age to come, which is characterized by resurrection. The new age, remember the present evil age is going along and then the day of the Lord's going to come and then the end of the age when everything's great in the kingdom of God and Jesus comes and says, the kingdom of God's already here in me. I am the resurrection and the life. If you believe in me, the powers of the age to come break into your present and you are now living in the presence of the future. It's like a magical time warp thing. It's really amazing. 
So we really live in the full forgiveness and the power of the resurrection, and we taste now of the powers of the age to come, and there's lots of teaching we can do throughout the Bible on this topic. But Paul understood one of the promises of the future age was an outpouring of God's spirit on everyone, and when he saw that Jesus accomplished the outpouring of his spirit, so that now instead of the law, Torah of God, written on tablets of stone somewhere that we have to learn and follow and obey, instead of that, in the new covenant, God puts his spirit in us, and he writes his instructions on our hearts and moves us to want to do what's right. And I have conversations over and over with people who say, when I started to trust in Jesus, something changed in me where I didn't want to do the things that I used to want to do, and I started to want to do the things that I didn't want to do before. You know that story? Everything changes. It's really good news. Can you tell I get a little excited? What I just said, this is an important point. In the new covenant, the Holy Spirit has replaced law. In the new covenant, the Holy Spirit has replaced Torah. Why do I say that? Romans 8. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, because through Christ Jesus, the law of the spirit of life set me free from the law of sin and death. For what the law, the Torah, was powerless to do, that's where I started, right? Was powerless to do in that it was weakened by sinful nature. Remember, law and sin work together. What it was powerless to do, God did by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful man and for sinful man to be a sin offering. And so he condemned sin in sinful man, listen to this next sentence, in order that the righteous requirements of the law might be fully met in us who do not live according to the sinful nature, but according to the spirit. Did you catch all that? That's worth reading a few times. So take it home and open it up again. If you have the Spirit of Christ, the Spirit has replaced law, and you are free from law and alive in the Spirit. Paul will talk a lot about that coming up in Galatians. But remember, the the goal of Torah to reflect God's righteous character in his people, now fulfilled by the Spirit in us, to enable us and empower us to reflect his righteous nature. It's really good news. But it gets... I think even better for practical application because that sounded kind of theological and philosophical, didn't it? You with me? You are, okay. A little later, it'd be fun to read all of Romans 6 with you. I told you I've been working on this for 40 years, really. Seriously, I'm 56. At 15 years old, I, for some reason, decided to memorize the first eight chapters of Romans. And I read it and read it and learned it and thought about it, and it changed how I approach temptation, and sin, and gave me a lot of success and a lot of joy. And will you too? Listen to, if we, we don't have time to read all in between, but now to the 11th verse of chapter 6 of Romans where we were just reading. It says this, in the same way, remember I, I said, sin, I'm dead to you, or you're dead to me, however you want to go with it. In the same way, here's an instruction for you. Count yourself dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ. Well, how does that work? Do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its evil desires. You now have the power to do this thing that Paul's instructing you to do. Do not offer the parts of your body to sin as instruments of wickedness. 
Picture someone going to an idol to offer something. He says, don't do that. It's like sin is an idol. Your body is what you're offering. Don't do it. Don't offer the parts of your body as instruments of wickedness, but rather offer yourselves to God as those who've been brought from death to life, which you have been because of the resurrection of Jesus, and offer the parts of your body to him as instruments of righteousness. For, listen to this phrase, sin will not be your master because you're not under the law, but under grace. Sin will not be your master, you're not under the law, but under grace. You guys are feeling like you're doing theology now, which you are, but it's theology with application that will change your life if you can get this, and it's worth reading over and over. Romans 6, Romans 8, all of Galatians. So, so how might this work? Remember, when the law comes to you, sin is aroused. Paul said, I didn't even know about coveting until I heard thou shalt not covet, and then I started coveting. Right? Okay, so I'm going to use a, a common situation that um, you'll probably all understand. It's it, um, in Southern California. Um, you're a man. Sorry, ladies, but you'll, you'll get the story. You're a man, and you're on the beach in the summer. Who else is there on the beach in the summer? Some ladies in bikinis with a lot of skin. The law comes and says, thou shalt not commit adultery. And you go, that's right. And sin goes, hmm, let's talk about that. And now sin becomes a lawyer with you. So does law. It says, well, I guess you can't sleep with her, but you can look, right? No law against looking. That has happened to a couple guys in this room, I think. And then, you think I'm wrong? I won't ask for a show of hands. This will work, by the way, with any, any of the laws of God that describe his righteousness. So sin's like lying to you. Well, how much is adultery? How far could you go? Well, certainly you can look. I one time had a person say, I know you can't commit adultery, but it's like you, out of the restaurant, you can't order the food, but you can look at the menu. And I said, no. <laughs> because then Jesus comes and says, you know, God's concerned with the heart. And if you are looking at a woman to lust after her, you've already committed adultery in your heart. And now you're condemned. And this is all going on in your mind because you're a Christian man. And you're like, what a failure I am. I'm so disgusting. Oh, God, what will I do? And sin has beaten you up and the law has beaten you up. But now you know the truth. Mr. Law comes knocking at your door. Mr. Sin comes with him and you say, I'm dead to you. Because law, I have nothing to do with you. I have something better. I have the spirit of God living in me. And his primary work is love. He teaches me how to love. And sin, don't you know I'm dead to you? I'm not going to offer my mind to you as instruments of wickedness, what I just read. I'm going to offer my mind to God as an instrument of righteousness. I know what I'm going to do. Lord, see that beautiful woman there? Thank you for making her beautiful. Would you protect her purity? Would you just make her safe and bless her if she's married in her marriage? You just, Lord, let no evil person come and steal anything from her. And you've just offered your mind as an instrument of righteousness. And you've said, sin, I'm dead to you, law. I'm dead to you. I have nothing to do with you. Don't you know that I believed in Jesus and was buried with him? 
In his death, I was crucified with him. Sin is gone. It has nothing to do with me, and you have no power over me. I do not have to do what you're telling me you think I have to do. You used to have power over me before I came to Jesus. I came to Jesus, and the power of sin was defeated. I'm dead to you. I was buried with Christ, and I was raised with Jesus' resurrection. I've got the resurrection, new life of Jesus flowing in me. I have the spirit of God in me. I do not have to sin. I don't have to worry about the details of law. Can do, don't touch, don't do, all these specifics, and you're going to get all technical like a lawyer. Can you break off the head of grain and eat it? Is that working on this? Forget all that. I'm dead to the law. It couldn't help me. I'm alive to God. I'm alive to the spirit. I'm living for Jesus, and it's free. I don't have any sin left in me because Jesus has taken it away. And when sin comes and says, well, I'm going to try to take up residence in you, I'm not powerless. I'm not powerless. If you've been told, well, you know, you have to, you're going to sin every hour. Everyone does. I don't know that that's true because you're not powerless in the face of sin and the law because Paul said, and we're believing it, the gospel of grace is you're dead to the law and you're dead to sin. You're alive to God with the spirit of the living God writing his desires across your heart. So the very thing that you used to want to do that was evil, you no longer want to do. And the very thing that you didn't used to want to do that was righteous, you now do want to do because he's changed you and you had nothing to do with it. You just heard the message and put faith in Jesus and he made you born again. He filled you with the spirit. He changed everything. He washed away your sins and you are free. And it's a good way to live. If you have struggled with temptation to do what is wrong. Dishonesty, gossip, pride, sexual sin, stealing, and any of those things, you are not powerless. I tell you this day, if you put your faith in Jesus, one, all of your past sins have been washed away. You are as clean as Jesus. The righteousness of God in Christ has been given to you because you put your faith in Jesus. That's salvation by grace through faith in Jesus plus nothing. And if you've fallen, go to Jesus and put your faith in. He goes, I already paid for that. It's taken care of. You are righteous. And don't live in fear. Live in freedom. Let me read it again. In the same way, count yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its desires. Do not offer the parts of your body to sin as instruments of wickedness, but rather offer yourselves to God. You can do this in the face of temptation and say no to sin. Yes to God, I'm offering my mind, my eyes, my hands, my feet, my entire person to you. Do with me what you will. and Set me free today from any power of temptation to sin. Offer the parts of your body as instruments of righteousness to him, for sin shall not be your master, for you are not under the law, but you are under grace. 
So you got that all right. Good class. You can apply this. Okay. Let me just tie a few phrases together for your thinking. This would be helpful as you read the Bible. By the way, do you read the Bible? I should ask that. People, understand, you are living in a difficult time. If you don't sow seed in your field, your field is your life, you will have nothing but weeds. If you will sow the seed of the word of God in your life, you will have a harvest that will help you in the time of need, and you will have the time of need. If you don't spend time in the word, especially also with another person, it's a regular practice, I urge you to find the joy of the harvest that comes from the seed of the word. Okay, so you read these sorts of things and they become available to you. And here's some phrases that you've heard in church, on the radio and worship songs, in the Bible. And if you tie them together, you go, wow, this is not that complicated. So you hear the word, you are not under the law. That's pretty much the same as living in the flesh. You've heard that. That's pretty much the same as under the powers of this present age. That's pretty much the same as living in the kingdom of darkness, living under law, living in the flesh. It's all without power. It's all before God. It's all, it's all before you meet God. It's before the Spirit. The other set of phrases that are almost all the same. Whenever you read them in the Bible, you think, oh, I know this story. That's that, that sermon around his priest, the same one. You hear grace. That's pretty much the same concept as life in the Spirit, which is pretty much the same con- concept as living in the kingdom of God now. Jesus saying the kingdom of God has come. Living in the power of the coming age. Living the resurrected life. All those are the same. You hear grace, life in the Spirit, kingdom of God, you hear law, flesh, this present evil age. Read the Bible, run into those phrases and go, oh, well, I don't have to live in the dark side. I get to live in the bright side. I get to live in the righteous side. Remember, I said it earlier today, and we read it in Galatians 1, the very first verses. God loved us and sent his son for our sins to deliver us from this present, or to rescue us from this present evil age. That's the gospel. That's the message we have. Believe it, because it's always relevant. It's always transformational. It's always powerful. Everyone you know needs to know that God loves this world so much that he broke into our present difficulty with himself as a solution. And all we have to do is look to him just a little bit of faith. And they'll say, that's good enough. I'll take that. You don't need much faith. You need just enough faith to go, okay, I want to believe Jesus. That's it. He'll take that and go, that's good enough. I can work with that. Because he's so for you and he's so full of love and he's so full of power and he's so full of grace. It just takes the littlest, ittiest, bittiest amount of Jesus. You died on the cross, and I believe it was for me, and I I need it. I put my faith in you. And Jesus, plus nothing else, brings you into right relationship with God and all of the goodies that come with it. 
which is his presence, his life, his community, love, joy, peace, hope, faith, the good life. It all comes from a little bit of faith that grows and grows and grows and grows and grows. Okay, you ready to do communion now? Hopefully, the, um, the talk about being crucified with Christ, being raised from the dead with him, makes more sense when we get this little funny little container with some juice and a little wafer on the top. This takes some dexterity, but I conquered it. Pull that little plastic thing off, and there's a little wafer. Do you see that? And hopefully at home, you got my message, and you got some kind of bread or cracker and some juice. So do you, you pull out that little wafer, you figure that out. This is a visual reminder. And, and Jane and Amy, soon you, you can come up if you want and help us with um, worship. Or maybe you want to do communion, whatever. Um, the bread is representative of Jesus' body, the juice of his blood, all what took place on the cross. And the, what Paul wrote was this, I received from the Lord what I passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread. That's why we have this. And when he had given thanks, he broke it. And he said, this is my body for you. Do this in remembrance of me. So let's eat the wafer And remember, Jesus, the creator, the son of God, came and gave his body for our sins and for our wholeness. He said, by my stripes, you will be healed in every way. Let's eat together. Thank you, Jesus, for your broken body. May all that it means come into real life in us today. Thank you for your broken body. After supper, he took the cup. Oh, this is more challenging. Oh, I think I got it. You need fingernails, huh? You kind of missing the day when we had the cup of juice and the crackers up here on the table. That's coming back soon. But this, I got it. What's amazing is God knows everything. And when Jesus was doing that, he knew that one, doing it for real with the, on the Last Supper, God knew that one day there'd be a group of people in Oceanside with plastic little cups remembering what Jesus did. And it would be just as real for us with these plastic little cups as it was for those disciples on that night. Just as real. Just as meaningful. After it, he took the cup and said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink of it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. This is my blood given for you for the forgiveness of sins. My blood of the new covenant. My blood that brings grace. Thank you, Jesus, for pouring out your lifeblood. You love me so much that while I was still a sinner far from you, You came and gave your lifeblood to pay for all of my sins, to cleanse me, to bring me into relationship with you. And it's been such wonderful relationship to this day. I know it's going to be even better day by day as we continue to grow in our love and our friendship. Thank you, Jesus, 
I drink this now in remembrance of your lifeblood poured out for me. We receive your forgiveness. We receive your cleansing. Isn't it good to be free from sin? Isn't it good to have no guilt? Guilt washed away. I have no guilt because of what the thing that we just ate and drank represents. Jesus gave his life for my sins to rescue me from this present evil age. It's the gospel of grace. It's powerful. It's miraculous. It takes the revelation. His crucifixion and his resurrection became my crucifixion and my resurrection. I'm dead to the law. I'm dead to sin and alive to God. I just wanted to shout hallelujah, but I held myself back. <laughs> so, hallelujah. Let's, let's um, maybe stand together and we'll worship. We'll leave our time worshiping. God bless you guys. Let's sing together. We hope you've enjoyed this message. This weekly podcast is available on our website, gracevcf.org, where you can learn more about Grace Vineyard and our vision for people everywhere to know and worship God.